part of my role here at Preston Crest is keeping y'all informed, right? About all the goings on at this church, things you, you might not know about. So here goes. I bet that you didn't know that there is a Mr. Preston Crest. Not making that up. There really is a Mr. Preston Crest. He lives in Illinois. He works at a Wendy's restaurant, and he is a huge Chicago Bulls fan. I present to you Mr. Preston Crest. Real person. This week, I was just—I was trying to get on our Facebook page to see what was going on, the Preston Crest Facebook. So I put put in the little search bar, and he popped up. So there he is, Mr. Preston Crest. Um, I actually sent him a friend request, so I haven't heard back on that yet. But uh, but I thought y'all might enjoy meeting Preston Crest. <laughs> A lot of people out there, five billion people in the world, so yeah, There's, he may not be the only one, right? Well, this morning we're continuing with our only, the only person, we're continuing with our Life Hack series, which we started several weeks ago, and we are talking about some practical, some powerful counsel from God uh, in the book of James. How do we deal with the real stuff that we're going to encounter in life? And last week was kind of funny. Uh, I hope it wasn't weird funny. I hope it was good funny, but we kind of, I had too much prepared about halfway through the sermon, just kind of pulled the emergency brake and said, let's pick up here next week. So that's what we're going to do. I didn't know it was going to be a two-parter, but it turns out it's a two-parter. So we'll pick that up uh, where we left off last week. But what we found last week was James shared with us that you can better appreciate the journey when you don't know the destination. And that applies to 10-hour to road trips or 16-hour flights uh, between continents. Uh, it applies to life in general. That you can better appreciate, enjoy the journey when you know the destination. And James shared with us that in Christ, our destination is wonderful. He shared with us that part of that destination is our growth, our maturity, that we would become the very best versions of ourselves in Christ. He shared with us that part of that destination is God using us to show off a bit, that we are His first fruits. Oh, the farmer is so proud when he shows up at the farmer's market with those first strawberries, those first tomatoes, that first crop of the year and says, look at this and imagine what is to come. We are, in Christ, God's first fruits. God is saying, look at these people. This is what it looks like when you know you're treasured and loved. This is what it looks like when you have been forgiven of all your sins. This is what it looks like when you have hope and you have purpose in life. We are his first fruits. And of course, James also shared with us this idea of the crown of life. Our destination is eternity. Immeasurable, inevitable, eternal life because of Christ Jesus. That's our destination in Christ. And we hold on to that during the journey because the journey can get tough. And really, in James chapter 1, he shares two things that make the journey tough, trials and temptations. Last week, we pulled the emergency break after we finished talking about trials. This week, we're going to move into that second part of what makes the journey tough, 
which are the temptations that are part of life. And he's going to talk to us about how we can tackle temptations. So the destination that God has for us in Christ is life. Yes, eternal life in paradise, but, but life also here and now. Your eternal life, if you are a believer, has already started. Your salvation has already started. You are living in the salvation of Jesus Christ. You're living that out in your job. You're living that out in your ministry. You're living that out in your marriage. You're living that out in your neighborhood. You're living that out in how you serve others. You're living in that. According to Jesus, however, there is this life but there is also one who is determined to take life away from you. John chapter 8, verse 44. He is, according to Jesus, he is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Talk about strong language. A murderer. That's the descriptor that Jesus used to talk about the enemy, about the devil. So here's what I want you to write down. If you're on version this morning, you can follow there. Or in the bulletin. In the bulletin, you can write this down. Important. God wants us to find and experience life in Jesus Christ. Satan wants for us to experience death in relationship to God and in relationship to other people. There's a lot of interesting theology that we could do here. Um, so God and the devil. So if God is good and God loves us and God is all-powerful, almighty, then what's the deal? Why does he allow evil to exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, if God is almighty, what's up with that? And if you are an unbeliever, those are probably questions that you wrestle with and that keep you from faith. And if you are a believer, those are probably still questions that you wrestle with and struggle with. Because they're just real tough questions, aren't they? Now, the short answer is we have been given freedom to choose life or death. That God can be chosen or Satan can be chosen. And every person from Adam, from Eve to Gordon to you, every single person has by their choice to sin basically granted a foothold to evil, granted a foothold to the devil in this world. Um, now through the gospel, the gospel... The good news, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, through the gospel, the end game has been set in motion. All things are being brought under the legitimate authority of the King of Kings once again. But in the here and now, there is a battle that's being fought between good and evil between God and the enemy. We're in the throes of a battle between the one who has purchased us by the blood of Jesus, given us life, 
And while the destiny of the devil is sealed, he can still tear away at the plans that God has for us. And that's what he does. We opened the Life Hack series a few weeks ago, and I shared with you how James, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to diagnostically help us to understand ourselves better, kind of open the curtain and see what's going on in my thoughts and my desires and my motivations. Why is it that I keep repeating the same mistakes? Why is it that I, I, I turn every relationship into a huge mess? Why am I doing what I'm doing? James is going to help us understand what's going on there uh, as he does some diagnostic tests with us in the book of James. And that brings us this morning to the four stages of temptation or using Jesus' word of the devil as a murderer. Let's call this making a murderer this morning uh, because James says in verse 15 that when we allow sin to take root and grow in our lives, the result is death. That really, when we allow sin to take root, we have invited a murderer into our lives and we should not be surprised at all when he stops killing the things that matter the most to us. So stage one, obviously, I think, is temptation. Stage one is temptation. Um, since all people are drawn by the allure of doing what is not right, temptation is an inevitable part of life. It's inevitable. Um, look, everybody deals with temptation. Um, no one is alone in having to face the daily struggle of being drawn away from God and being drawn into sin, of being drawn spiritually off sides, of being drawn away from God's amazing plans into something else. Something other than what is God's best for them. Everybody is tempted that way. In verse 13, James begins talking about temptation with two words that tell us a lot. Okay, the first two words of James chapter 1, verse 13, James says, When tempted. When te James doesn't say, hey, if you're tempted, if you're one of those people who's tempted, James doesn't say, in the off chance that you find yourself being tempted, James, who is one of us, okay, who knows what it's like to be a human being, James says, when tempted, right? So we're all tempted. It's going to happen. I'm tempted on a daily basis. Your saintly, thanks, Bill, for that. But I am. Your saintly grandmother She's tempted on a daily basis. You're tempted. The Pope is tempted. All right? The elders of this church are tempted. Everybody is tempted. Mr. Preston Crest is tempted, I'm sure. <laughs> so being in the crosshairs of, of temptation does not make you a bad person. It makes you a person. Okay? All right? Um, if you feel bad because you're tempted, advice. Stop it. Don't feel bad because you're tempted. 
Um, in the trajectory of temptation, one thing is guaranteed all human beings will find themselves in the crosshairs of temptation without exception. Consider, and this encourages me, consider the very best person to ever live, Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he, was, he is able to understand our what? Our weaknesses. Why? Because when he lived on earth, he was what? He was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Let us then feel, this is the good part here, let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Jesus, tempted, understands our weaknesses, tempted in every way, that we are. If he hadn't been, he wouldn't have been a person. He wouldn't have been human. If he hadn't been, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he would not be able to understand us. But he was tempted. He wrestled with the same things that you wrestle with. The difference, of course, is he didn't sin. So inevitably, you will be tempted. Stage one, Temptation inevitable, but stage two is where things start to get interesting, right? This is what we're calling nurture. Stage two is nurture. The power of temptation grows when I imagine, when I fantasize, when I speculate about what it would be like to act on that impulse, to act on that temptation. This is where the process really gets started of making a murderer in your life. Um, one who kills relationship with God, kills relationship with other people, who kills your very soul, who takes life away from the satisfaction you should be enjoying. It is essentially where a person chooses, the nurture phase, is essentially where a person chooses to open up a little guest room in their heart, clean it all up real nice, put a little chocolate on the pillow, and invite temptation in to dwell and to make itself at home. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice and drag us away. So we've all been tempted, okay? Um, that's common to everyone. And we have probably all essentially done this, this nurturing phase. We've all essentially given the green light for temptation to pull us away, to pull us in the wrong direction. Next, number three, stage three, this is normally what people think of when they think about sin, but we've already seen there's a whole lot going on before we get to this stage. Stage three is behavior, right? We think of doing something wrong. Now, that's a sin, but it starts way before that. When my thoughts are dominated by sinful desire, those thoughts eventually translate into choices and 
actions. Um, That is where we begin to pay a price for sheltering and lodging this dark traveler in our hearts. Get ahead by padding your resume or lying in a job interview. It's going from being frustrated with your kids to screaming at your kids and breaking their spirits. It's cheating on your taxes or cheating on your spouse and on and on and on. Stage three is described by James in verse 15. He says, these desires that I've been harboring and nurturing and lodging, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Making a murderer, James, and the entire Bible for that matter, is very clear on why sin is such a bad thing. It isn't a bad thing because God really likes rules. It isn't a bad thing before God does, because God doesn't want you to have any fun. And so God wants to invent ways for you not to have fun. Sin is a bad thing because it kills. This brings us to stage four. Death. Sin separates me from God It undermines relationships that I have with other people, and it enslaves me in a cycle of addiction and destruction. Back to verse 15. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Emotional strangulation from guilt and shame. Relational poisoning from bitterness and rage and selfishness. And then the consequences, fights and anger, separation, divorce. A lot of ways that you could describe what happens when sin takes up residence in your life. James describes it quite simply with one word, death. That's what happens. And I don't find, look, what we've talked about so far, I don't find James to be particularly uplifting. Like, yeah, that's so good. But I do find it to be honest. Thank you, James, for being honest. I do find it to, I do find it to be borne out by my own life experiences, as I imagine you do as well. Uh, Most of all, I appreciate that James doesn't just leave us here. But he provides us with some very practical strategies to take on temptation in our lives. So what we know is this. We have received grace from Jesus Christ. We are saved by his righteousness, not our own. We know that. But we know that we are not only forgiven by Jesus, but that he forges us into a new people. He will forge you by the power of the Holy Spirit into a new you. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some strategies for tackling temptation, right? The first one is this. Um, James says, hey, 
don't blame God. So decide for yourself, I won't blame God. James says in verse 13, when you are being tempted, again, you will be tempted. When you are being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. Again, you will be tempted. But when you are in that spot, James says, don't blame God. Now, there are all sorts of really interesting hot debates going on these days uh, between um, Calvinists and Neo-Calvinists and Arminianists, and you may not know what all that lingo means. Basically, it's about free will. Is if Some people believe, look, if God is sovereign, if God really is sovereign, then Everything is under his control. Nothing is outside of his control. So basically, many people believe these days everything is predetermined. Any choice that you have is really just the illusion of choice. God is pulling all of the levers. There are other people, the Arminianists, that believe we have free will. We make our own choices. Look, I think you can be a really great Christian and believe different things on these issues. I do. I think you can be an incredible disciple of Jesus and fall into any one of those camps. But James makes it very clear. Wherever you fall on that, James says, just be sure of this. Don't blame God for you being tempted. Don't say God is pulling that lever to tempt you. God is not going to tempt you. God is not going to force you either to obey him or disobey him. God loves you, honors you, respects you, and gives you the freedom to choose. So, there's a lot of temptation going on out there in the world, and there's a lot of temptation going on right here in my world. So when I'm tempted, when you're tempted, James says, don't say, God, why are you doing this to me? Don't blame God. The second strategy is this, and I think you see it flows right along with that. I will accept my role in cultivating and nurturing temptation. Temptation, James says, comes from our own desires. This is really important. God wants you to walk with him on this journey. He wants you to remember that Christ is the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, the author, the perfecter of your faith. He doesn't want you to wander off. He doesn't want sin to pull you toward death. He wants you to walk in life. Now, any journey of of personal transformation, whether we're talking about 12-step programs or just you trying to deal with some of your own... um, bad habits or hang-ups, any journey towards spiritual transformation starts with this notion, I will own up to my responsibility in this mess. Look, whether you've got an eating disorder or whether you've got marriage problems or whether you're an alcoholic, change starts with owning up to my responsibility in this Mess. There may be other people involved, sure, but owning up to my responsibility because that's ultimately the only thing I can do anything about. So, James says, accept your role. Accept that what's going on is really coming out of your own desires that you've been nurturing and fostering and growing. And then the third thing here, it's about the cost. It's about just understanding the price. I will understand that sin kills and destroys the things that matter most. Sin, verse 15, gives birth to death. 
that's kind of a weird image. We normally think of, because really James is using the language of a pregnancy here, conception of sin, the growing of sin, and then the birth of sin. Usually we think of pregnancy and birth leading to life. James says in this case, no, it's a horrific image. It leads to death. No life in cheating on your spouse. No life in being addicted to porn. No life in stealing what is not yours. You can go right on down that list of all of the sins that captivate you, that captivate us over time. They all lead toward diminishment and destruction of what matters most. And that brings us to, I think, the spiritual life hack that James has for us today, and it is a powerful one. Here goes. I will join the fight against sin early. Put a circle around that word. I will join the fight against sin early, knowing that unchecked sin gains power. The snowball gains momentum if it's allowed to roll down the hill. It is, is it easier to stop a locomotive, right, before it leaves the station or to stop a locomotive that's barreling down the tracks at 70 miles an hour? Is it easier to stop smoking if you've been a chain smoker who's been at it for three decades or to stop smoking if you've never even started which is easier? James says in verse 15, when sin is allowed to grow, this is the life hack here, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. A lot we could talk about here, right? I mean, we are all tempted, we all sin. If we as believers are to, are to stay on course, if we're to walk in the light and head toward life, deeper and deeper into the life that we have in Christ, if we're going to continue that journey with the Lord, we cannot allow sin to grow. We can't be getting the guest room already. For sin to have a comfortable spot to hang out in, in the middle of our lives. Now, I've used this one before. I'm going to use it again because I think it kind of speaks to more than just one set of temptation issues. But it's this one. It's, guys, if you're at the gym or you're at the mall and you see an attractive woman, say to yourself, good job, God and move on. God is the source of beauty. God is not only the source of all beauty, God hardwired us to recognize and appreciate beauty. That's probably why you started, why you asked your wife out for the first time anyway, okay? Noticing beauty is a good thing. It's what you were made to do. Um, so if you're out about town, you see a beautiful woman, or at the office, you see a beautiful woman, great! But if you go beyond 
noticing and appreciating into fantasizing and fixating and obsessing, then you have allowed sin to grow. And nothing good is going to come out of that. Think about it this way. <laughs> okay, you have no choice as to whether or not a bird is going to fly over your head. You do have a choice whether or not that bird is going to make a nest in your hair. You don't have a choice as to whether or not you are going to be tempted. You do have a choice whether or not you are going to lodge that temptation in your heart. Final strategy. This one is so important and so sweet. I will trust God's goodness to provide me with everything I need for a great life. God really will take care of me. The reality is the murderer, the devil, doesn't create anything. God is the creator. All that Satan does is take the good and beautiful and wonderful gifts that God has designed for us to enjoy. He takes them and he warps them. He distorts them and he diminishes them. He takes what was meant to bless us, to bring us joy and satisfaction, to bring us life. He takes those things and he makes them into things that are destructive. Guess whose idea sex was? That's God's idea. We can talk about sex at church. It was his idea. Okay? And it's amazing and beautiful when it's cherished and when it's protected between a man and a woman in marriage as it was intended to be. And guess what? It becomes a destructive thing, a hurtful thing. When Satan gets a hold of it, and encourages us to do things outside of the parameters that God has set for us to enjoy that and be blessed by that. Food, same thing. I love food. God gave us food. In fact, have you ever thought about this? About every time in the New Testament where Jesus is describing heaven, he talks about food. <laughs> the banquet table, the feast. Um, in fact, when Jesus wants us to rem remember him every week, he says, eat something. Food is God's idea. Enjoy food. Don't be mastered by food. Don't be addicted to food. Don't let the enemy use something good and delightful to enslave you and destroy you. I think you get the idea, but... James really paints a beautiful picture in verses 16 to 18 about how we can trust God. It says this, Dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. So God provides everything we need to survive and to thrive. He really does. Now when you come to Christ in faith, he provides. 
doesn't he? He provides forgiveness of all of your sin, of all of your guilt. He provides a living hope because you know Because of that resurrection we were reminded of this morning, when the stone rolled away, you know that death will not have the last word for you. He provides you with the Holy Spirit to help you, to forge you, to strengthen you, to shape you. He provides you with brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the world who will encourage you, who will inspire you, who will help you get off off the ground when you fall down, when you make mistakes. He provides everything you need. And if you have a bite of lunch today, He provided that. If you have a job, He provided that. If you're healthy enough to be here this morning, He provided that health. If you have friends, He he provides. God is a provider. And so ultimately, I think what temptation comes down to is trusting in His providence, believing that, instead of doubting and trying to arrange provision on your own terms. So what about you? Have, you? have you given your life to Christ? Have you accepted all that He provides, starting with that beautiful forgiveness through His blood? Have you surrendered your life to His Lordship, allowing Him to be your King, your Savior, your Lord, your Master? You can do that this morning. You can surrender your life to Him, trusting in His name. You can be baptized into Christ, wearing all of His provision uh, in the waters of baptism, receiving that living hope. Or this morning, we would just invite you to respond by praying. Uh, Maybe it's trials or temptations, whatever it is that you're going through, and you just need the prayers of people around you. Get together and pray with somebody as we respond in song this morning. But however you need to respond, just Trust that God has your best interests at heart and turn it over to God as we stand together and worship.